0: So we're going to count to ten, Yeah. but we're going to take it in turns to do a number. So I'll say one, Rhi will say two, Sean will say three, and then I'll do oh, four. Oh, this already so sounds so four.
1: complex. I know, right?
0: everyone and welcome to episode seven of pronouns in bio Um, if you can hear a loud banging in the background that's because at the moment my neighbors have uh an ongoing weird construction project characterized by brief bursts of intense hammering with mysterious silence in between um either that or i'm just jiggling up and down because i'm so excited for the episode that we've got for you today um what are we talking about today Ree? We're doing a special
1: pronouns in bio goes to school episode where we're going to look at a couple of, I guess, what are they like high school rom-coms? High school comedies yeah. uh, from the nineties, the noughties and the tens and the, oh no, we don't quite get to the twenties.
0: We got yeah. up to 2019. Romance did die by that point.
1: Yeah, love is dead. <laughs> I don't know what you heard on our last episode, but love is dead.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we did ask online if someone could tell us what a school was and they didn't. So we don't actually really know what we're dealing with today. (laughs) Fortunately, we do have someone in the room who might be able to help us out. Hi, Sean.
2: Hi, Cleo. Hi, Rhee. Hi. Hi.
0: Welcome to (laughs) the podcast. Could you just tell us a bit about yourself?
2: Sure, Um, yeah I don't know whether I'm really an expert guest but um, I am a part-time PhD student. I'm looking at authorship and popular feminism in contemporary film and television and I'm also a fashion copywriter. But my MA dissertation um, looked at makeover sequences specifically in teen movies. Um, So I guess that qualifies me to chat with you both um I guess my interest is partly because I'm just generally interested in gender and the media and kind of expressions of identity and things of that nature but I I feel like I'm somewhat stuck in the mindset of a teenager and (laughs) I find media aimed at this demographic just endlessly fascinating so yeah. I think all of that definitely qualifies you to be the expert on
1: at least on today's episode
0: yeah i mean you were basically qualified to be the expert on this episode because you took notes something that we are notoriously bad for on pronouns in bio but also the fact that you are mentally a child will lend itself
2: to this episode oh good i'm glad that that, that's gonna be useful
1: somewhere just like straight out of the park negging our guest love it (laughs)
2: <laughs> I necked myself, it's fine.
0: <laughs> Speaking of being mentally a child, we might want to start with a movie that our generation just cannot seem to keep from returning to, which mm. is Mean Girls. Mm-hmm. Um, also because it's a movie that me and Sham watched last night, and so is nice and fresh in the old noggin.
1: It's true, it does I... seem to have like a particularly permanent like mainstay in millennials' like cultural milieu
2: yeah Mm, mm. there's been like a load of tiktoks going around of like kind of lip sync tracks of lines from mean girls that various people have been doing in different costumes and that kind of thing so yeah it does not seem to be going away
1: is it is it is it gen z that's like doing that Like, like keeping it alive
2: oh i don't know actually no i think it's millennials i think we. yeah just that does sound
1: like some like bullshit millennial stuff that we do <laughs> thinking that we were funny
0: yeah shan <laughs> uh, is speaking very carefully here to occlude the fact that she did one of the videos <laughs>
2: but... <laughs> i didn't post it i just did that for your entertainment cleo <laughs> <No>. <laughs>
0: I know. I'm I'm trying to rinse you for it, but it was very funny. (laughs) We're just here like, yeah, anyone who made that kind of video will be a fucking loser.
2: (laughs) I never said I wasn't a massive loser.
0: (laughs) No, God, no, we'd never get anyone cool on the show. Sorry, previous (laughs) guests.
1: So what about it do you think has given it such permanence? Like, what is it that's so staying? Or is that is that a hard question it's kind of a hard question
2: i think it feels just very real like the whole mean girls thing like i i wonder if boys experience that bizarre emotional torture that girls put each other through while kind of mm. smiling and pretending they're best friends.
0: I wonder if boys' experience could be a whole episode in of itself. <laughs> they don't experience anything. <laughs> <laughs> if in Bio has any male listeners, could you just write us in? <laughs> do what you do experience? experience? <laughs> <laughs> I sort of want to say it's got a kind of timelessness to it in that sense you know obviously some elements of it feel quite dated but i was impressed by how well a lot of it stood up in the same way that in our matrix episode we actually spent quite a lot of time explaining what the matrix is for people who were born after 9 11 which is the exact line i used in the matrix episode and i feel like having said it twice it now implies there's some kind of causal relationship between the matrix (laughs) and 9 11. i don't think there is but you know Don't underestimate trans people, man. A new thesis project. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Did the Wachowskis do (laughs) (laughs) 9-11? I have no idea if it holds that kind of water outside of the generation that was watching it in 2004, if you know what I mean.
2: I actually listened to another podcast that revisited Mean Girls not that long ago. It's called Still Buffering. Definitely recommend it. It's, It's three sisters. There's two older ones and one much younger one. And the younger one... I think she's like 20 now and she, it was already like part of her sort of pop culture consciousness. So wait, mm. she would have been born like only a couple of years before it came out. So I think it has just sort of hung around. Mm. Mm. It's a great film.
1: Yeah, like obviously it's it's worthy of critique, but it, it is like really well put together and compelling.
0: It's got sensational comic timing. Well, I guess one of the reasons I was ambling towards it was whether or not to do a quick precy of Mean Girls.
1: Yeah, I mean, we can do that.
0: Okay, cool. Okay, cool. Well, I'm not going to do it. So, sh- Sean, what what is Mean oh, Girls agreed. about? <laughs> I
2: should have prepared a synopsis.
1: <laughs> I mean, I'm the only one that hasn't watched it like you guys, so I'm willing to have a stab at it <laughs> to see like how much of it permeated my brain.
2: Oh, that could be interesting. Cause I could literally quote the entire film by heart.
0: Re-do as Mean Girls off the dome.
1: So I've seen it a few times, but not recently. Lindsay Lohan moves to America from, I want to say South Africa, I think. And gets enrolled in like a sort of very archetypical American high school. She makes some friends early on and then she becomes kind of subsumed into the popular girl clique and it all kind of unfolds from there. I
0: think that's about right. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty much it. It's got Tina Fey in a supporting role, and I think she wrote Mm -hmm. a great deal of the script as well. It's in and of itself an adaptation of a novel, and it has, I guess, the kind of like wittiness that that sort of often quite blasé SNL humour can have when it's at its best. Although, you know, it, it falls prey to a lot of the same problems. What I'm interested in talking about here on the podcast, and I don't know if this is something that strikes either of you, is that Mean Girls has, I think, a particular kind of endurance in the queer consciousness. It's kind of a canonical gay film, or at least a film that gay people are canonically supposed to like. And I'm interested in why. Mm.
1: From memory, it has one gay character, and it's a friend of Janice, which sounds like... as i said that that sounds like a euphemism you know like friend of dorothy
0: (laughs) Dorothy. (laughs) i kind of wish they'd bring friend of dorothy back i thought that was quite nice nice.
2: i was watching outnumbered and that joke came up in I, i can't remember how old outnumbered is now but yeah there was a gay character and then um they had a friend called dorothy and then they were asking someone else if they were a friend of Dorothy, and it was like a whole joke. And I was just like, "I wonder, wow. yeah, I wonder <laughs> how many people got that." I don't know. Like, I I've only recently discovered "friend of Dorothy" was a euphemism, yeah.
0: like through Twitter.
2: I I learned that from Clueless, another classic.
0: I couldn't tell you when I first heard it, but I instinctively understood <laughs> yeah. it because, I mean, like how. How do you not watch The Wizard of Oz and be like, this is one cis woman hanging out with her queer friends. <laughs> the fucking Scarecrow and the Tin Man and the Lion. Like, that is just any of us on a night out.
1: I think it's a, it's also referencing another Dorothy. Is it? Dorothy Parker. I've literally just Wikipedia'd it. So this is not coming from my, my noggin. Yeah, predating the Wizard of Oz origins of the phrase is New York City's celebrated humorist, critic and defender of human civil rights Dorothy Parker, whose social circles in the 1920s and 30s included gay men. So like I think it became wow. a reference to Wizard of Oz, but prior to that, it was also a reference to Dorothy Parker.
0: That's so much cooler. Once again, I've gone onto our like Bolshe Queer Rights podcast and instinctively become drawn to the idea that gay people dress like the Tin Man. Yeah, exactly. If yeah. there's <laughs> one thing I know about gay people, <laughs> it's that they look like a fifty car pile up on the clown highway we do (laughs) we do we do i couldn't call to mind instantly what dorothy parker looked like but i'm sure that she was surrounded by fucking (laughs) and what's what's even i can't even think of the word animatomic animatronic 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 looking assholes (laughs) yeah
1: i think in mean girls it has like the gay best friend it does that really well but like that is the sort of queer rep and then it really Mm. chickens out with janice in my opinion I really mm. wished that Janice had yeah. been queer. I think Janice's character trips over herself too much to be like, I'm not, but everyone says I am. When actually I think it would have been a lot stronger for her to have actually been queer. And for that then at the end mm. of the movie to be okay.
2: Yes, exactly. Cause it's made such a punchline, like several points in the movie. I was saying to, this to clear last night, like surely if this film was made now, like this would not be a thing like they write in the burn book janice ian dyke and it's like now surely we'd be like Mm. lol (laughs) that's quite funny but like at the time it's like oh my god it's like a rumor that she's a lesbian
1: i guess in 2004 like i remember being at school at that time and you know you know oh that's so fucking gay was like thrown around a lot as like a derogatory thing so i think it really speaks to Mm. that era like of high school homophobia.
0: I think that's almost my issue with it, actually. I mean, obviously one of many issues with it, but the fact that there is a lot of, I guess kind of like grotesquely over the top homophobia that is played for laughs and you're kind of like laughing at the ignorance. There's a scene where Regina George recounts what I guess turns out to be her fallaciously exposing Janice is a lesbian and says that she disinvited her from an all-girls pool party because you can't have a lesbian around girls in their bathing Mm. suits. I guess I say played for laughs. There's a lot of Regina's stuff that's sort of, I think, meant to showcase her, like, the absurd monstrosity of a powerful teenager. Mm -hmm. But it's, you know, inescapably funny. It's clear that you're not meant to think oh, Regina George is doing hate speech because it's not that the movie doesn't carry that kind of narrative, but you're also not meant to think, oh, Regina George is right in saying this. And there's something about the the problem of being called a lesbian in high school, being resolved by ultimately not being a lesbian in high yes. school that quietly vindicates all of the, <laughs> all of the homophobia yes. that lay underneath yeah. the film. Yeah. I have
1: a similar... Exactly. reading of Easy A. I think Easy A does the same thing with a different subject matter. Um, mm. But I'll, I'll, I'll hold that mm. for a later segment for now. But yeah, I think
0: you're absolutely right. Cool. <laughs> Whoa, teaser. We like to keep people coming. They know they've got to sit through the break. I had, I had lots of thoughts about Mean Girls and gender that I actually had to partition off. I think it's too much to take on. As a film that constructs girlhood, I really want to know what it's doing. But what eludes me in terms of like Mean Girls and queerness is... Is this movie a movie that depicts gay people, or is for gay people, or is it a movie that depicts gay people as straight people think they are? Because mm. Damien, the one gay character, mm. is a sort of limp-wristed, like pink shirt wearing, big soft guy. He's absolutely guy. like the archetypical gay best friend, isn't he? He's the archetypical gay best friend, and I think he's supposed to be doing camp. Um, And I'm not saying that he's not but camp, and even to a certain extent a kind of drag, is actually more like the vein of the plastics and to a lesser extent the way that the other cliques in the schools are depicted. There's this odd way in which the plastics are used to enshrine so totally a high school version of heteronormativity that they become what drag is, which is this like hyper-exaggeration of mm. the cis-heterosexual norm. Mm. But I don't think that's realised in the film. I think the film is like, this is what gay people look like in these high school dynamics, and this is what straight people look like in these high school dynamics. Mm.
1: I think this straight depiction of gayness is quite
0: apt. If you go to a gay club, there are more people... Or rather, if you go to a gay club, the men are all dressed like Regina George <laughs> and the women are all dressed like Damien. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Yeah.
0: I don't think so much time has elapsed since me and Girls that that wasn't also true in 2004. You know, I think that was true in 1974.
2: <laughs> I was just kind of thinking, what is the message of the film? And And yeah, I don't know. I'm trying to think of like a gender flipped movie where the boys get an assembly and they're supposed to change their behavior in order to lead like happier Mm. high school lives like what would that look like I feel like it would just be a lot darker and a lot less easy to make jokes that's a very good point it's quite easy to be like oh the silly things that girls do because they're like Mm. placing competition with each other ha 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 you know Regina George ends up playing lacrosse and everything's fine but like with the boys would it be like I don't know you have to kind of dismantle toxic masculinity somehow and rape culture and mm. there's just not quite as many lols in that
0: yeah i guess girls don't really do school shootings <laughs> <Oof>. <laughs> Well, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's a
1: very different movie <laughs> <laughs> i've just remembered that like really troubling gym teacher sleeping with the asian high schoolers oh
2: god yeah is that funny i don't think that's funny no especially when his sex education is so poor
0: i sort of want to be like no it's not funny and then realize that that would be a little bit woke scoldy of me not because it is funny (laughs) in Mm. essence you know the idea of an adult man sleeping with a high school girl but because i did laugh at the bit where they're trying to trap regina cheating on her boyfriend and instead they Mm. catch him and it's it's a funny scene, even if it's ob- objectively or like, oh, this doesn't fly. But I think it's actually quite unsettling oh. that all of us recognize the stereotype of like the gym teacher or the sex education teacher who's also having it on with yeah, the that's students. So like this idea that all schools contain a bit of a creep. Yeah, that is true, actually.
2: Yeah, it's actually terrifying. Yeah. When you think about it, like it's so widespread and accepted that we're just like, haha, yeah, there is that always that creepy teacher and not like, fuck, that is really Horrible. There's
0: like a kind of echo of the joke later where in the, I think it's the Vietnamese girl's clique Mm -hmm. or something. I think Janice calls them the cool Asians. Mm -hmm. Two of them are like fighting over the coach being their man or something. And it's just like a, a brief throwback scene. And again, it's like played for a bit of a joke, but then you think if you changed this film minutely, then it would be quite a harrowing story of the way that like adult men force themselves into the development of teenage sexuality. Do you think it's because, I guess, the incipient part of girlhood that this movie is talking about, like, the meanness in the mean girls is part and parcel of the same expected quality of girlhood that ultimately leads to the resolution? Like, we women do these things to each other, but fortunately it's also an essential part of our social role that we resolve it among ourselves.
1: As in, like, that's a good message?
0: I just wonder, is that Mm. the message? Not whether it's a good one or not. Because, like, when they get to the assembly at the start, they have the whole bit where the principal keeps calling them girls, ladies, Mm. girls.
2: Oh, yeah, he's like, lady, (laughs) lady. What you young ladies need is an attitude makeover.
0: Sean, could you just do the line that makes him step away for us, for the audience at home?
2: (laughs) Someone wrote in that book that... I'm lying about being a virgin because I use super-jumbo tampons, but it's only because I've got a heavy flow and a white-shaped <laughs> vagina. That's a, a classic line. <laughs> <Thank you.
0: laughs> At the end of this, he like takes a deep breath and is like, I can't do this, and then goes to Tina Fey's character and is like, can you do something? Like I think it's an intentional way of, of showing like how little he understands of the internal world of the girls who are ostensibly mm-hmm. under his supervision. But it does also propose this quite doomy conclusion. That It's like, this is an internal matter and you guys have to resolve it yourself. Like, we can't change anything about the social structures in which you participate. We can't change anything about the way that you are forced (laughs) to conduct your lives by the people around you. We're just going to walk away and you have to deal with it.
1: I think it offers a very liberal perspective of feminism that, has mm. no space for, like, the reclamation of sexuality and the reclamation of words like bitch and slut. It has a very, like, mm. it performs a certain kind of liberal feminism that I think is very Tina Fey.
2: Yeah, Tina Fey even says, you've got to stop calling each other sluts and whores because that only just makes it okay for guys to call you sluts and whores. No, and that's, like, and a, yeah, fundamentally no. not true. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> mean, mean girl boss. It,
1: yeah, Yes. <laughs> mean girl boss exactly
0: (laughs) girl girl boss baby
1: (laughs) (laughs) no no please no yes
0: yes (laughs) yeah yeah but it is very funny oh no it's very
1: funny (laughs) and it's a it's a good film it's really good
0: a funny film but a confusing one that ultimately doesn't represent gay people
1: or girls (laughs) Have you seen the meme going round? You know, that scene when Regina George is just like, oh, you're so pretty. And Lindsay Lohan's like, oh, thank you. And she's like, so you
0: think you're pretty? Oh,
1: I haven't seen that. I I wish I had an example to read out because then this would have been much funnier, but I don't, so that's
0: <laughs> funny. I too often wish we were working in the visual medium as opposed to the magic of audio. But as it is, we'll just have to make do with this secondhand description- have to use your imagination. Of the framework of a meme that you saw online. <laughs> Yeah. (laughs) The theatre of the mind. Never mind, eh? (laughs) Never mind. (laughs) The next section of our show is Gaze of Future Past. Roll Gaze of Future Past music theme bit. Gaze of Future Past.
1: She doesn't even go here.
0: Re, would you like to tell us about Gaze of Future Past?
1: Gaze of Future Past is where one of us will try and convince the other that a figure, be they historical, real or fictional, uh, was actually gay and or
0: trans. Sean, I assume you're familiar with the rules of the game, having known both of us for any amount of time. Um, (laughs) So please do feel free to weigh in. That said, this week's Gays of Future Past is Seto Kaiba voice. No, fuck, not Seto Kaiba, Maximilian Pegasus voice going to be a little different because I suspect that actually I know that you both know that we all kind of agree Mm. because my gaze of future past this week is I guess specifically Amanda Bynes's character but more broadly the entire film she's the man Mm -hmm. and I know that you both know that I think that she's the We man know you feel very is, strongly about
1: this one, yes.
0: I just think it's the most sophisticated piece of discourse about gender made in the last 20 years. <laughs> and I know that we've all talked about it. Well, me and Sean have talked about it at length. Me and Ree talked about it last night when Rhi watched it for the first time.
1: Lay it on us, present your case.
0: So my argument, and I do actually have an argument this time, is it's the most sophisticated piece of gender discourse not because it presents a particularly compelling queer story, but because it doesn't attempt to present one at all. So, She's the Man for the Viewers at Home who aren't into art house (laughs) cinema, is a teen movie from the height of Amanda Bynes's Naughty's career about a young woman who loves playing football but on graduating from... Is it on graduating from middle school into high school or high school into college? Um, I
1: think it's high school to college. Yeah, high school to college.
0: Cool. On graduating from high school into college finds that she's no longer able to participate in the football program, which is all boys, and so disguises herself as a boy to take her brother's place at his all boys college or like at, at his college with an all boys football program or something where she meets Channing Tatum um, with whom she falls in love but also she can't break drag in order to try and explore the relationship because she has to keep acting like a boy in order to keep playing football. It's, uh, it's
1: inspired by The Twelfth Night.
0: I guess there are two main points to my argument. There is the fact that the gendered narrative in the movie never at any point crosses swords with queerness. Like, I guess if we go back to Mean Girls and talk about how it has that element of camp that it doesn't quite seem to recognize, that almost exists separately from the gay character it brings in, who is Mm. just this classic gay guy. Mm. Whereas She's the Man has Amanda Bynes simultaneously doing a pretty good drag Mm while also performing these, like... They're not even, like, exaggerated masculinities or exaggerated masculine behaviours so much as the script's idea of what it would be like if a woman had to perform as a man. There's, There's almost a kind of nonsense element to it. But crucially, Channing Tatum, and indeed most of the boys, in the movie don't really seem to react to Mm -hmm. this. (laughs) The gender performance in it isn't one that has this kind of Butlerian freezing of actions that kind of concrete as an identity. So much as an identity that reshapes itself to be what, what it needs to be and everyone else just sort of recognizes that. There's no like strained trans narrative in here or like difficult sort of gendered journey so much as just the casual rep- repurposing of identity in a fashion that is functional in that it gets Amanda Bynes where she wants to be and volitional in that it lets Amanda Bynes do what fulfills her, which is football. Mm-hmm. And by the way, if you like movies made in the noughties, then boy, does this one have the quintessential dramatic people playing football montage. <laughs>
2: it does, <It's> so good. <laughs>
0: Honestly, some of the finest camera work of the to 21st To the tune century.
1: of All American Rejects, no oh, less.
2: Oh, yeah!
0: yeah! <laughs> it is it's it all! Great, yeah. Yes! Fuck! Yes, if this movie wasn't good enough, I had forgotten it. It's soundtracked by Dirty Little yes, Secret. Yes,
1: it is. It's so good.
0: <laughs> Jesus. Which I guess forms a kind of counterpoint. Like in the the, the narrative sense, but also in the literal Theory wonk voice, Bartesian sense of like a contrapunctum, like the piece of the narrative that pierces itself back through.
2: Oh, she went there. No. Wow.
0: Yeah. <laughs> 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 you can't see me right now, but my dick is so hard. <laughs> if we go back to that idea of the volitional and this gendered performance being something that Amanda Bynes' character, whose name I have forgotten, but I'm not going to, it's too late now, It's Um, Sebastian
1: is the the boy character that she takes on Viola Viola Viola's her actual name.
0: Yeah, because it's Twelfth Night, isn't it? Yeah, of course. When Sebastian turns back into Viola because there's basically a climactic scene where Amanda Bynes has to negotiate the identities as both Viola and Sebastian to try and simultaneously go to affair with Channing Tatum but also play football as Sebastian that leads to the revelation of, I guess, the true identity, true in air quotes, and the resolution that in future football can be played and also Channing Tatum can be courted. But the resolution and the like, volitional element of it, that now that football has been resolved, we can chase Channing Tatum, is so affirming, partially because it's not an ending that mandates any changes to Amanda Bynes' identity, besides the purely performative, Mm -hmm. that now the convenient aspect of drag is no longer needed, it can be dispensed Mm -hmm. with. But there's nothing that like functionally has to change. But also that just before the dramatic kiss, Channing Tatum is like, I liked you when you were a guy, but perhaps you can stay this way now. And Amanda Bynes is like, that's fine. And it just like, it just, this movie, From the mid-noughties just casually acknowledges that ultimately the gender performance was about effecting a sense of belonging and a convenient way to participate in gendered activities but it didn't affect these deeper lying principles of attraction and in fact intersected with them in all these sorts of nuanced ways that frankly the, the queer theoretical vocabulary that we're playing with in fucking the year of our Lord 2021 is completely inadequate to describe. (laughs) I don't think it is at all telling a story that would use that vocabulary. I don't think it's telling a story of a journey of gender or a journey of sexuality. Rather, it's proposing a world in which these things are at most contingent on us simply being, Mm -hmm. in which they are ephemera of the human spirit rather than identity taxonomies by which one's life rises and falls
1: that was fucking great I 100% yeah. agree with that that was a fucking great take <laughs> the best take on pronouns in bios so far thank you <laughs> a point that supports your argument as well is that I've forgotten her name now but there's a female love interest that starts to fall for sebastian so viola in sebastian form Mm, and mm. when we were watching it my partner turned to me and was like oh you know i think this is going to be resolved by that character realizing that she's actually gay and i i could see why you might think that but i'm so glad that in the end it doesn't do that because it starts to then become Mm. it starts to then delve into these like thorny issues around gender and sexuality that like the film as you rightly have identified does away with And, you know, it's not not Mm. resolved by being like, oh, perhaps I like girls because this was a girl all along. It's just Mm. like, oh, I can just go off with the brother (laughs) instead.
0: (laughs) Which is great. Mm. Yeah, it was really good. It was really good. We talked in our last episode about the incipient sadness of a lot of queer stories. And I think that this is a... This is a movie that perhaps tacks closest perhaps by merit of being a queer movie, queer in italics, but not being a queer movie, Mm. it it comes closest to successfully negotiating that. It allows us to imagine a world where the thorny negotiation of gender Mm. is at its most dire and catastrophic, ultimately a matter of theatricality, of silliness.
1: Mm. Mm. (laughs) Also shout out to an absolutely cracking Vinnie Jones playing Vinnie Jones performance. Oh, Where, yeah. right at the end of the movie, <laughs> he just goes, This is football. We don't discriminate on gender. And it's so <laughs> funny. <isn't> it? <laughs> gender.
2: <laughs>
1: gender. <laughs> oh, it absolutely killed me right at the end. It's just a perfect Vinnie Jones line. So, in conclusion, she's the man, is our gay of future past, or Amanda Bynes is our gay
2: of future past yeah you did you argued so accidentally yeah i think the film is a gay of future past
1: the best take on the podcast so far
0: i also think it's just the one that's closest to my own like pure queer theoretical or pure feminist ideology like there's lots of stuff on the podcast which is about the realities of social justice but this one is the one where i tap briefly into my like Utopian genderless society <laughs> ideal. <laughs> the endless gender carnival. He
1: also makes kissing look so bad.
0: <laughs> I guess that is the age when you have lots of bad yeah, kissing. Yeah, yeah. I'm very pro kissing. I've made it known on this podcast that I'm sex negative, but kissing is a whole other <laughs> playing field.
2: I have to agree. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: I don't know if you've seen our outtakes, but we often have to do this several times because I always fuck it up. So here's <laughs> okay. hoping for a nice clean take. Thank you so much for tuning in to Listen, listeners. Just me taking you through the break this time because Ria's nipped to the bathroom, but I can assure you that I love you twice as much, even though they're not here. In fact, Sean's here as well, so I'm sure Sean loves you as well. Absolutely. There you go. <laughs> Absolute. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> we just want to talk to you a little bit about our upcoming project and how you can help us keep doing them we have been able to do all sorts of cool things as people on our patreon will know with the kind donations we've received so far. We've been making little pronouns in and postcards and sending them to your literal houses. We've been making fun, informative graphics about the queer worlds that we live in. And Right now, our patrons can look at the first pronouns in bio video project. If you'd like us to be able to do more of this, to keep making podcasts, and to keep the lights on while we do so, then you can chuck us a donation at patreon.com forward slash pronounscast. For as little as three English pounds, you can be getting early access to all of our episodes and much more. Or if a regular donation's not your thing, then you can get us at kofi.com. Forward slash pronouns cast. That's co fi forward slash. I'm fucking this up, Sean. <laughs> I'm fucking time. it up. I'm fucking it up. Fuckety time. fuck <laughs> fuck. K O dash fi dot com <laughs> forward slash pronouns cast. That's the co <H-T-T-P-S-S-S-S-C1> address. H T
1: T P S colon forward slash forward slash. <laughs> <laughs>
0: You really... Listeners at home, I love you, but you don't know how much it hurts me to record this break every (laughs) single time. Please. Just a few pennies. Just a few pennies. It hurts, listeners. It burns. Maybe we should agree that, like,
1: (sighs) past a certain threshold, we will stop talking about it so that the listeners don't have to hear you fuck it up every single time. It, like, incentivizes them to donate.
0: (laughs) Tell you what. If we hit... A 1,000 views. I feel like we should agree this away from the podcast. <laughs> nah, I'm saying okay, it now. Yeah. A tight 50 quid on the on the Kofi and the Patreon. So that, that's just £3 from 10 of you. No, that's, that's not, not how that maths works. Match works. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> then you won't have to listen to this next episode. <laughs> Honestly, you might not have to listen to this this episode because I'm fucking <laughs> sick of it. But <laughs> <laughs> there is hope. <laughs> So, yes. carry on
1: that was painful
0: <laughs> cool. that was really that was really, that was bad, that was hard so for our next session we wanted to talk a bit about session high school movies and queer culture specifically I've been chatting on quite a lot, far too much in fact so I'm just going to open this up to you guys and say Is the high school movie part of queer culture? And if so, why?
2: That is a big question. (laughs) I think yes, because I think the high school movie shows a lot of that kind of like, I don't know, transitory experience of just being a teenager and and like the process of Mm -hmm. a state of change, I think. And I don't know I feel like that's a very teenage experience you kind of trying to understand who you are and how you present that identity to the world I mean I feel like I still continue this at big old age of 32 but <laughs> yeah like figuring out your identity well I mean it's it's sort of a universal teenage experience but I think if you are a queer teenager or person that kind of process is something that feels a bit more mm.
1: personal I guess. I think mm, no I haven't fully for- formulated that thought yet and come back to me. <laughs> <laughs> okay.
0: Do you think perhaps the enduring popularity of things like mean girls that we mentioned before is partially owing to the fact that teens are always going through these identity moments but also that if you come to your identity like your queer identity later in life that that moment of realizing that the person that you made yourself out to be isn't quite mm. who you thought is itself a moment of renewed adolescence. Yes,
1: that's that's the thought I was trying to
2: formulate. Yeah. Thank you so much. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's fine. I'm in your head, red tree, baby.
2: Yeah, that really resonates with me as a kind of late realiser of my own identity. Mm. Maybe that's why I'm stuck in teenage <laughs> brain.
0: <laughs> I actually. And I might cut this out afterwards, because I'm sure it won't make me any friends. I have... A small... insy little morsel. A tiny fork full of beef. If you Mm -hmm. will. With a certain brand of queer performance, and particularly online. Mm -hmm. There's like an exaggerated version of the I'm baby type thing. And like sometimes like directly psychologically links it to the traumatic event of going through adolescence again people who go on tea in particular sometimes experience this archetypically teenage like Mm. hormonal fury
1: Mm. and the acne as well oh no
0: when i switched brands of hrt a couple of years ago i had six weeks during which my face Mm. like ejected. Like, my entire skin and tendons just ejected from the bones. That's real image. It was bad. Every morning I was waking up and like, thank God this was before I found out that Kat Von D had gone full anti-vax so I could just get that good thick shit and apply it an inch deep. Oh. <laughs> so I, I guess I'm kind of, I'm almost, I'm almost willing to take more of a stand to defend trans people being prolonged periods of baby. Mm. The adult baby takeover is back on, one might say. <laughs> but please, Neville, please, if you're listening, don't take this seriously. <laughs> oh, love that tweet so much. But I fucking, I fucking missed that guy, man. I had to stop following him for my sanity, but... He is a legend.
1: So trans people are, are allowed I'm baby periods, but non-trans quiz aren't. Is that, is that your point?
0: I mean, that's what I would put on Twitter.com if I wanted to have 40 <laughs> angry people crawl up my asshole and open house. Um, <laughs> I guess what I mean is, fuck, I'm not, I'm going to fuck this it's up It's fine, now.
1: I don't think that this segment <laughs> should make it to the podcast. So feel free to fuck it up.
0: You do <laughs> <laughs> no, we've done too many good bits. I'll chop it. <laughs> what I mean is that I think sometimes the second adolescence and that, like, identity characteristic manifests as a kind of performed immaturity mm. that I find... As an excuse
1: for shitty behaviour.
0: Yeah, I guess so, that I find quite grating. Like, you, sh- I think as an excuse for shitty behaviour is exactly right. Yeah, like... There's a lot of sexual decisions, a lot of, like, intra-community sniping and beef that then falls back on the traumatic episode of finding out who you are, which is not to say that everyone isn't allowed moments of baby. God only knows I take them. Like the fact that I'm using this podcast to vent my personal shitty thoughts about people on the internet. Um, <laughs> I think there's a sense in which the high school movie represents us because, you know, a lot of us go through that teenage moment of identity figuring and also the high school movie represents us because in the community more broadly, there is, I think, an issue of kind of kind of infantile behaviour predicated on a justification of being gay being difficult.
1: Yeah, I think the important part of the high school movie is in pretty much every movie that I watched in preparation for this episode, the... The conclusion is, you can choose to be a better person. Mm. Um, And I think, yeah, I think that is like a universalizing message, no matter who's watching it, is that like, ultimately you can choose to be a better person, and you can change.
0: I think there is something about being... being gay, not in a sort of essential, like, anima type of way, but as in like, being gay and the world knowing that you are gay and facing the challenges that the world puts at you. Mm that can make you into a better person in all the sorts of very broad human lessons about kindness and friendship and community and whatever that all of these high school movies are drumming into teens, I think also get drummed into us as a community at these fractious points.
1: I think that brings me really nicely onto my beef with the movie Easy A. Hit me. Okay, so I've seen this film three times. It came out in 2010. I think I went to the cinema with my friends and saw it and like loved it at the time. Then I watched it again about six months ago and was like, oh, this wasn't the movie I thought it was in my head. And then I watched it again yesterday to be sure. To be sure of my critiques of it, I suppose. One thing that you sort of texted me last night, Cleo, was the two questions to sort of bring to these films are what kind of queers are represented in this film or what version of queerness is in this film? And what is the movie's thesis? I came to Easy A knowing what it what it's about.
0: Just quickly, could you explain for the readers at home what Easy A yes, is of about?
1: So Easy A is Emma Stone and another great Amanda Bynes performance. At the beginning of the film, Emma Stone's character is talking to her best friend and she sort of makes up this elaborate story about how she went on a date with a guy and they had sex but the ultra Christian girl in the toilets overhears and then spreads the rumor that Emma Stone's character has, you know, been having extremely slutty sex with loads of people. This coincides with Emma Stone's class reading The Scarlet Letter by Nathaniel Hawthorne. And Emma Stone's character takes inspiration by that and starts to wear like an A on her clothing because she's kind of being ostracized for being perceived as this sexualized person. And she realizes that she doesn't need to have sex. She can just tell people that she is. And it affords her a certain kind of power. And it kind of unfolds. And eventually it has like quite disastrous consequences for Emma Stone and the people around her. She kind of becomes like this home wrecker figure. But towards the end. And it's kind of resolved by... (sighs) I guess being like, don't tell lies. What I wanted this movie to be about was it doesn't matter if you do go and have sex with lots of people, you still don't deserve to be ostracized. Like the actual Mm. act of having Mm. sex isn't bad. It's more like on a charitable reading, you know, it's messy. People are complicated. It can be a complicated thing to do. But what this movie actually does is on multiple occasions actually reinforces this like whore virgin dichotomy as like a good thing. It constantly has these like little weird throwaway lines, particularly around Emma Stone's mum and the counselor played by Lisa Kudrow, who are the actual sluts. And that's like uncritiqued. So quite early on Lisa, Lisa Kudrow's character, um, she's just like this pathetic mess, basically. Like she's sleeping with one of the students and she's cheating on her husband who also works at the school. And obviously she's this like pathetic mess. But Lisa Kudrow's character, just comes out at one point and says you're not a real whore a real whore can't admit it to herself and trust me i know
0: wow okay
1: and i and it's it's so frustrating because this movie sets up it being this like really positive message to for teens which is like the act of having sex in itself everybody does it it's about how you treat people accordingly but it doesn't it kind of reinforces that there are sluts in the world that do deserve to be ostracized and emma stone isn't one of them and she was unfairly ostracised. She's not one of those yeah. girls. It goes to great lengths continually to reinforce Emma Stone's character as not one of those girls.
2: Yeah, because the whole premise is that she's a virgin, and like exactly because the audience knows that, it's like, oh, isn't this interesting that you know she's getting these rumours and she's being portrayed as like the bad girl by her schoolmates? Like, yeah, if she actually was having all the sex, I don't think that film would have got made. Exactly, she's virtuous because she's a virgin who hasn't actually had sex.
1: She's not virtuous because she's rising above people critiquing her for having sex. Yeah. She has, says at one point in like the very final lines of the film, it feels incredibly shitty to be an outcast, warranted or not. <sighs> what this film has done is shown you that there are occasions where it is warranted to ostracize someone because they've had sex but not Emma Stone's character because she's a virgin and didn't deserve any of this. Yeah, it's pretty grim, isn't it? The two characters that actually portray as having sex in the movie is Lisa Kudrow's character, who by like self-definition is a whore because she cheats on her husband. And there's also a Christian guy.
2: Oh, no, but he has sex with her and gets chlamydia, doesn't he? So that's like his punishment for having sex. I mean, obviously he's cheating on his girlfriend and all that, but yeah
1: exactly like the the student that she sleeps with contracts chlamydia from her and like the std thing is played as like disgusting and funny Mm. and like a a a deserved consequence yeah and the other person that's actually having sex in the film is a gay guy who runs off off screen with and i quote a hulking black guy and mark twain jokes are sort of bandied around offhand as as a result And like, those are the two characters that are actually having sex in the film.
0: (sighs) I didn't remember this at
1: all. Yeah, and it's disappointing. Like when you you think about it, like what is the thesis of this film? I don't know, but it isn't a good one. It's a fantastic Emma Stone performance and it has like real standout laugh out loud moments, but I think he actually has really troubling messages.
2: It does have Stanley Tucci in it, though, playing a hot dad. in wherein, And he is fucking great in it as I mean, well. He has a lot of Henleys <laughs> and, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Stan- this isn't Thirst Aid Kit. This is <laughs> pronouns and bio. I'll, I'll hold my <laughs> Stanley Tucci affection. <laughs> no, I,
0: I didn't invite you on this podcast thinking that we'd get away without some hot <laughs> you know
2: dad thirst. But also, Patricia Clarkson does play a hot mom, so...
0: I've never been less convinced by the heterosexuality of, like, a family unit in a movie than in Easy <laughs> Like, you look at, like, Stanley 2 at the dad and then, yeah, at the mum, and you're just like, you guys are definitely, like...
1: <laughs> you know, friends of Dorothy. <laughs> that's,
0: <laughs> some, that's a powerful mutual beard. <laughs> Should we talk about a more successful queer movie and talk about But I'm a Cheerleader?
2: Yes. I've never seen it.
0: You've not seen it?
2: No. So I'm interested to hear more about it though because I've heard it is one of those like yeah, quintessential queer movies that everyone should watch.
0: It is. Yeah. I actually think it is in two ways. I was going to say I don't have an elegant segue, um but I actually do and it's in the film's treatment of sex. Yeah. In terms of it being a quintessential queer movie, I think that there are two slightly different ways in which it's a quintessential queer movie, one of which I only discovered for the first time when I watched it this week. I think you watch it at a certain age, perhaps, and it can be a real baptism of queer culture because it has such an exaggerated kind of camp that it can be particularly against the backdrop of queer culture of the noughties, a real sort of, oh, this is what gay culture looks like type influence. I think that was, struck me so much when I watched it when I was much younger that what I missed the first couple of times around was that it's also just a very affirming story about love that is set in this, like, elevated camp world. Oh. The reason I wanted to talk about it in terms of comparing the way that it talks about sex to E. Z. A. is that, but I'm a cheerleader, the plot is uh, Natasha Leon.
2: I didn't realise Natasha Leon was in it. I love her.
0: It's the movie that started the running thing about her always playing lesbians, but being straight. Tragic. Yeah, a loss to the community, really. <laughs> and I want to stress, we're not saying this is a bad thing. Natasha Leon is like, in fact, we're not going to have time, I think, to do an ally of the week this week. Also, I didn't think of one.
1: I think Natasha Leon is a good. Yeah, sure. Natasha yeah. Leon, you
0: can be our ally of the week. <laughs> and if you want to come and get a congratulatory kiss from any of us, then <laughs> please, please do. Natasha Leon plays the sort of quintessential, perfect high school girl. She's on the cheer squad, she's like this bubbly blonde who is a Christian and respects her parents and does well in school, and she's got this boyfriend who I think But I'm a Cheerleader He's probably the the quintessential example of bad kissing shown in teen movies.
1: Oh, no. Yeah, it's it's disgusting.
0: Even though, like, all of her encounters with him, he's just, like, cartoonishly jamming his face onto hers and, like, licking her whole face. She, like, puts (laughs) up with it because that's the dumb thing. (laughs) And the plot of the movie is that her parents and friends and boyfriend all stage an intervention where they tell her that they're afraid that she's a lesbian and send her off to conversion therapy which is this like this incredibly brightly colored camp world run by <laughs> rupaul
1: oh wow they're like sets are like
0: dr zeus style yeah. exaggeration um, Like everything is yeah. like pastel colors and made of pvc and mesh and <laughs> It's all like incredibly Alice in Wonderland, Yonick. It's quite a campy sort of 90s movie until it gets to that point. But then when she gets sent to this camp, she like travels into this world of camp, camp. <laughs> mm. Most of the movie is just comic vignettes of like the things they do at this. They don't call it conversion therapy. They call it something else, but it's obviously conversion therapy and the things they do just like making them gayer. And it's all very, very funny and silly. Except then Natasha Lyonne meets Cleo Duval. Actual Ah. lesbian Cleo Duval.
1: Chief lesbian Cleo Duval.
0: Yeah! (laughs) Senior lesbian (laughs) lesbian line manager Cleo Duval. (laughs) And they fall in love and eventually run off together. Beautiful. To take us back to Easy A, this is a whole movie about how being gay, and specifically gay sex, is shameful. The characters in the movie constantly openly say it is shameful. And the one sex scene in the movie, which is between Cleo Duval and Natasha Leon, is just like this brief, beautiful, softly lit-
1: It's really moving. Aww. It's a really moving scene.
0: It's really tender, and it's not at all pornographic like there's no nudity although it's very intimate it sort of manages to do in that one scene to take on this entire narrative of sex is shameful and then without ever doing something as much as having a character talk about it or like putting a discourse about it in just goes no it's not
1: <laughs> it also depicts like heterosexual culture as this like pretend world this like Mm. hyper farcical like make-believe world where like straightness for women is servitude there's no other way of cutting it and you know the camp counselors present this as like good and proper but the film is very very clear in its kind of anti-heteronormative perspective
0: i think it's anti-heteronormative in the most literal sense not just that it takes an ideological position against heteronormativity, but that it shows the complete ineffectiveness of heteronormativity against queerness.
1: And also it, it, the complete ineffectiveness of heteronormativity for straight people.
0: Exactly. Like they try to make. These queer young people into straight people by making them do straight behaviours But all of the things that the counsellors do become loci for like further developments of their queerness Like sometimes it's Mm. very funny like they give them these stun batons to administer electroshock therapy to themselves Whenever they have gay thoughts and they start using them to get off And then some (laughs) of it's just very sweet in that they try to make the girls do um, Um like household chores to like give them a sense of what their role should be and it becomes like a place for them to fraternize and to like get to know each other better and actually just reinforces Aww. the queerness of female spaces Re, I wanted to ask because me and Blythe talked about it but I, I thought I should call upon the, uh, the room in general what did you think... Of, fuck, I can't remember their name now. What did you think of the...
1: Jan. Is Jan. it Jan? What did you, you think of Jan?
0: Jan? <laughs> as this podcast's resident Jan, what did you think of Jan?
1: I Yeah, honestly, I, the minute I saw Jan on screen, I was like, oh, it's me. <laughs> <laughs> it was just like a, a moment of like pure recognition. I read them, even though this may not necessarily be like the intention. And it's not the only valid reading, but I read them as... A gay trans man, because they have that like really quite touching realization, um, that like they're not gay and that they really like dudes.
0: For context, Sean, uh, of all of the quote unquote girls in this camp, all, all of them are femme to a certain degree. Although Cleo Duval's got that, well, Cleo Du, you all, we all know what Cleo Duval looks like. <laughs> <laughs> one of them has like a shaved head and wears like jumpsuits a lot then midway through they're like I'm not a lesbian I just dress this way
1: uh, I think if not trans men then like they're not a woman at the very least uh, even though it's never really said outright
0: I think it's really interesting to cut it either way to be honest I think the film has definitely allowed space for a conversion narrative that was much harder to talk about in film that continues to be much harder to talk mm. about which is the way that young AFAB trans people are particularly negatively affected by conversion mm. practices because even within the sphere of homophobia they're still forced into identifying as lesbians.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: That read really holds up but even if that's not the case it's still a really good sincere point about gender identity and gender presentation.
1: It holds space for Jan to be a straight woman who dresses in a very masked
0: way. Exactly. In a whole movie where the joke is gay people dress like this and walk like this and act like this, it finds space to be like, this isn't what gay people are.
1: Mm. Yeah. There's no one way of doing this.
0: It does also have some just sensational depictions of how gay people walk and throw and catch and dance. (laughs) Because we do be like that.
1: (laughs) It's disappointing to me that but I'm a Cheerleader came out in 1999 and, like, we haven't progressed past that. Yeah. To, like, fully realised that in other God. films.
2: I just made me think of the Miseducation of Cameron Post. Mm. um, Desiree Ackerman's film with Chloe Grace Moretz, uh, where she goes to a conversion camp. But it's pretty sad, so...
0: I won't lie, but but I'm a Cheerleader is sad like it has moments of real sadness and it, it, it doesn't pull any punches about the fact that we live in a homophobic world but the sadness isn't part of the grit of the narrative like i thought that the miseducation mm. of cameron post one of the things that was essential to the narrative was that these kinds of stories about gay people are sad yeah great
1: rupaul performance
0: great rupaul performance actually really really kind of went me over a bit to be honest i've been quite clear on this podcast before about not being rupaul's biggest fan and certainly not being drag race's biggest fan but it is an amazing rupaul performance the minute
1: he comes on screen you're just like oh i know who this character's gonna be yeah
0: (laughs) 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 with the woman's son as well where he's walking around just like carrying a chainsaw and a broom all the time (laughs) for no apparent reason
1: I think we should talk about Booksmart, which came out in 2019. Uh, It's currently free on Netflix. If you haven't seen it, it's a sort of yeah quintessential, that bridge between high school, leaving high school and going to college, where two best friends who have been the very studious, somewhat nerdy girls that have only really hung out with each other all the way through high school and have this veneer of thinking they're better than everybody else because they're the smart ones going to Yale or whatever have this moment of realisation when everybody gets their, like, grades back and it's like that everyone else around them is also super smart, but they've also had fun during their high school time. And so what ensues is these two best friends trying to pack as much of the fun high school experience they can into one final day.
0: What is the queerness in Booksmart?
1: There's two main characters and one of them is a lesbian.
0: It's funny, isn't it, that we started this with a movie where there's this very real threat that a character might... Be exposed as a lesbian or might have been successfully exposed as a lesbian and then 15 years later we've got a movie where it, it's both essential to the plot of the movie but also it's not remarkable
1: mm-hmm. yeah. that one mm-hmm. of the main
0: characters is a lesbian and that is part of her high school experience.
1: Yeah exactly. Yeah. yeah,
0: I think one of the reasons I like Booksmart is the way that it has an awareness of the queer high school culture in which it exists there's a bit really early on when the the straight main character is egging on the gay main character to go and ask another girl out and she says oh, I don't even know if she's gay and the other character says she wore a polo shirt to the high school dance <laughs> and then the lesbian character we should I should have again should have looked at these guys names Amy and says, Molly says that's not her sexuality that's just her gender presentation And it's like played off as a laugh at the fact that we have a lesbian in this high school movie now, but we have this particular brand of like woke campus queer who (laughs) is instinctively aware of all of these, I guess all of the machineries of high school culture that are so veiled in movies that have gone before.
2: Yeah, it felt very advanced in comparison well, maybe I'm just thinking of my own personal high school experience where I was just a dummy. <laughs> and th- these kids are talking about gender performance. And I am i was there like, what song lyrics shall I have as my MSN screen name? That's gender performance.
0: <laughs> 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 what the fuck, Shia? Do you think that's not gender performance?
2: I also liked that, like, in comparison to sort of, teen movies of yore where they always have to do the map of the high school and yes, and like Janice does in Mean Girls like shows the different cliques in this film like everyone just does their own thing like people are friends with whoever they wear whatever they want like Ryan wears a polo shirt to prom and it's not like oh my god she must be gay it's just like well that's what she decided to wear to prom mm. and everyone like has their own style and stuff and it's nothing
1: it completely does away with the trope of high school cliques and yeah it made me realize that high school movies have become so dependent on replicating the high school clique because it's expected of the genre not because it authentically mm. portrays being a teenager at school.
2: I really hope that that is actually representative of like high schools now um, because it seems quite idyllic to me. Like everyone was just nice to each other. Even like the kids that they're supposed to be like, the mean or cool kids or whatever. They're kind of just like They're just people. Nice. Yeah. They, you know, when they're talking about Molly in the toilets, they're just like, oh, she's so like keen at school. But like, that's kind of as mean as they get.
1: I think on the one hand, it does present a slightly utopian version of like, what if we all just got along? But it doesn't reduce people to the clique they belong to, which pretty much mm. every other film that we've talked about does, except yeah. for by i a Cheerleader. Every single character in the film is a complete person, mm. which I think is a really important like humanizing depiction of young people that doesn't rely on instances of tropes that if you're watching it, you can come away with quite a troubling or damaged opinion of the
0: people around you. Well, I wonder is whether it's something to do with this central idea that the nerds discover that actually everyone else is smart. Just off the dome, a lot of the cliques in other high school movies seem centred on the protagonizing perspective being one of the nerds or like one of those kind of self-identified lower status people. So... When Katie arrives, she's this sort of tabula rasa who doesn't know how school works, but she's really good at maths and she falls in with the unpopular kids. Mm -hmm. In 10 Things I Hate About You, Joseph Gordon-Levitt's character is this newbie who again falls in with the nerds. The the idea is, I guess, that these guys are on the bottom of the pecking order and so they know how the social mechanics of high school Mm. work. But yeah, it quite uncritically presents this idea that high school is a series of hierarchical cliques and the people who are shit on by that system also know best, which, yeah, I think has contributed to quite an unnerving culture of, like,
1: Mm -hmm.
0: nerds thinking (laughs) that they are the most marginalised people in high school. And Booksmart kind of undoes that, I guess, by showing that actually that's how they thought high school was, but it wasn't that way at all.
1: From the very opening scenes when Molly just, you know, hears what people have said about her and that she's like, actually, wait, you know, I've been arbitrarily assigning these rules to myself, but I've been telling myself that other people have been putting them on me. Mm. Which, yeah, it's a really good critique of, like, nerddom as this kind of, like, self-serving I'm better than you way of thinking
0: exactly yeah. I'm better than
1: you but I'm also marginalized right
0: I wanted to go back quickly to what Sean said just off the back of this about being a dummy in high school because like I <laughs> I was both a nerd who thought I was being marginalized and a dummy what was your IQ in high school Rhi <laughs> yeah.
1: I absolutely was someone that thought I was smarter than everybody else and yeah like definitely put being
2: smart on a pedestal I just think, like, that's what we're told. We're told, like, to be smart is, like, the most important thing at school. Did you have gifted and talented groups? Like, that's some fucking
1: bullshit right there. (laughs) But.
0: Yes. Yes. This is the episode where we fuck off the gifted and talented kids.
1: (laughs) I was one of them. And it definitely reinforced, like, my air of superiority rather than, like, actually Mm. giving me valuable learning moments.
2: And then you get to university and you're like, oh no, everyone is clever. Yeah, (laughs) This is ridiculous. Why did anyone tell me I was special in my tiny
0: school?
1: Yeah, it shouldn't be a personality trait.
0: And they're both within and without the school. You're consuming all of this media that sort of all contains this idea of a hierarchy in which popularity means social status but isn't what's truly good about a person. And then like you go to school with absolutely no space in your brain for popular, smart people or whatever for people whose social status in the playground is composed of any other factors and particularly doesn't leave a lot of space for like nice people
1: Mm -hmm. Mm.
0: there's this idea that popularity is something you construct at high school by alienating some essential part of yourself by like becoming Mm -hmm. unoriginal or inauthentic or whatever or mean which doesn't leave a lot of space for the idea that some people might just be well liked (laughs) <laughs> because kind, they're good people because know?
1: they're nice people yeah 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 and yeah Booksmart presents us this version of like these people are all popular and friendly people like them because like they're good people
0: <laughs> and also that like these people are kind of all dumb in the same way like the nerds in particular yeah. but everyone is figuring themselves out in the same stupid ways like i i love i, I think it's a really authentic portrayal of the difference between being able to talk about queerness in a high school movie and showing the evolution of like a queer identity or a queer sexuality where, what is Molly's friend called? Amy. Amy. Where Amy is like able to say something like that's not her sexuality, that's her gender presentation but still when she then tries to hit on the same girl later is unable to just say, are you gay? Mm. And has to go through this like long and elaborate ruse to try and find it out Mm. that ends up backfiring on her when she sees the girl kissing a boy and is really, really disappointed. And there's this huge gulf between us having reached a point in high school cinema where we can talk about, you know, lesbians and our schools are full of little lesbians and this is great. And the fact that, those little lesbians aren't any smarter than we were when we were kids.
1: I was just sort of turning over in my head the fact that, like, Booksmart doesn't have any bullies. And that is what happens at school. Like, there are mean bullies. There's not really any recognition of that in Booksmart, which I'm not sure if that's a critique or not.
0: I think it is a critique, although I I also can completely see why the movie does it. If you look at something like the TV show Sex Education, Mm. it simultaneously does the... Utopian school setting where everybody is all these different combinations of sexualities and gender identities, but also people get bullied for it. Mm -hmm. There are moments of real dissonance where characters, well, you know, like scenes of homophobic bullying from your youth, if you're a queer viewer, are reproduced Mm. and then reabsorbed into this kind of brightly colored world in a way that I just don't think is quite as successful as. But I'm a cheerleader. Mm. I think sex education simultaneously imagines a high school where we've got past homophobia, but is still reliant on the character of the homophobic bully to propel the narrative. Mm. And in Booksmart, I guess they've just decided that they're doing doing little gay kids in school now, <laughs> and it wouldn't be a fun movie if they were like, "Oh, these kids are going to get homophobic bullying."
2: Yeah, I don't think it's necessarily like has to be. A completely accurate portrayal of the high school experience like Mm. it is a movie so I think it is just one night of like silly partying and
1: I think the fact that it happens on like the last day of school I remember very fondly like the summer that I left high school before going to sick form when it did kind of feel like that that everybody like put aside their high school bullshit Mm. and like I hung out with people that summer that I had never hung out with before and I had like a great time so yeah, I think it's kind of this like shaking off that high school rubbish and becoming yeah. a better person. And everyone kind of agrees to that.
0: Let's go back to our conversation last week about like the sadness of queer narratives last month, even that like the reason we've put Booksmart here in this podcast is because it exists, it exists in a canon of movies, all of which are important to young people or women or queer people or the Venn diagram of the three in one way or another It's definitely here to be like, oh, we've got little gay kids in our high school movies now. But we've already treated so much of like, oh, we've got little gay kids in our high school movies and people don't like them because they're gay. I feel like as part of this tradition, it almost doesn't need Mm. to repeat that.
2: Yeah,
1: yeah, we've done that. We've done that story many times. Yeah. Yeah, We don't need to keep relying on that. I think Booksmart's fantastic and I implore anyone that hasn't seen it to watch it.
0: I wanted to go into our outro just to talk about prom. Mm. Because I think that prom is kind of the summation of the high school movie and also the summation of the queer relationship with the high school movie. Because it's that first moment that you get to be like, make yourself a fancy, grown up, self-possessed adult in an outfit that you pick out specifically for you and particularly Mm. if you're afab and in a sense it kind of if you then grow on to get gayer as life goes on it concretizes that version of you in high school and you almost want to repeat that adolescent transition when you come out
1: i hated my prom dress (laughs) which is and i've hated it increasingly more and more with every year that passes to the point where like i literally hate looking at the photos now which i think tells me that we should do queer prom IRL now (laughs) so that I have different prom photos to look at where I like what I'm wearing.
0: I think that's it, right? Because, like, (laughs) if by some fucking miracle you actually hit your preferred gender identity and gender expression at prom, Mm. then that becomes a really concrete element of your identity. Mm. But for the rest of us fucking suckers who (laughs) (laughs) who don't... For what it's worth, I wore, I did wear a suit to prom, but I wore a red silk lined cape and a top hat and like a ruffled (laughs) shirt with it. So I looked like a fucking 1970s vampire.
2: (laughs) That's really good. I wish I'd worn that.
0: (laughs) Yeah, you fucking.
2: (laughs) Oh my God. Yeah, I would 100% wear a suit now. I had three proms. I wore three different prom outfits um but yeah now i definitely wouldn't wear a dress
0: i don't think mm. it's always the seat of the the denway mon you know in mean girls it's when katie makes her speech In 10 things i hate about you it's when kat punches joey oh yeah like yeah they're always these big unraveling scenes and i think it is because that is when you know really you talked about like the characters get given these opportunities to like to grow or to become better in one way or another it's when that moment happens it's got a kind of fixity to it that I think going back to the high school movie as queer people lets us think about rethinking or think about reformatting
1: let's do queer prom
0: what would you wear if you did queer prom right now (laughs) belt
2: cape and top hat (laughs) yeah a ruffled
0: shirt a cape and a top hat I can't believe I tried to close on a sincere note and having just disclosed like a painful element of my trans past, and you were just like. Lol. <laughs> she let her guard so down. <laughs> I actually think, and this is probably very stupid of me, that I would wear a suit again. Ooh. Mm-hmm. Because I've been out for bare time now. And I have worn so many different kinds of ball gown at so many occasions, often a lot of occasions where it wasn't remotely appropriate. <laughs> but I feel like, I feel like I've done the gender identity loop and I've come back.
1: Come back And cycle. if they
0: said, you get this moment again when your fluid self, when your high school narrative, has its moment of fixity, I would go back to the suit. I can't right. explain why. I think that would be my she's the man moment. That mm. would be my... I liked you when you were a guy, but you can carry on this way now if you like.
2: For some reason I'm picturing you in like a white suit. I feel like yeah, in, thing in thing.
0: the picture am I anywhere near any liquids of any kind, because you know I- <laughs> The minute I got a nice cream suit on me, I would instantly, like, <laughs> juggle a couple of glasses of red wine and piss myself. <laughs> I, I would somehow, defying the laws of nature, get my period instantly. <laughs>
1: i think i'm not really sure what i would wear like my instinct is to stay a suit but i think i would want to be a bit more gender fuckery than that
0: given Mm. the opportunity so that's just it right prom is the proposal of the fixing of identity of our high school characters and you almost want to be like you don't want to reproduce because we were wrong then, and who's to say we're not exactly. wrong now? Exactly. I, I just want to fuck with it, you know?
2: I just want to look like Kristen Stewart in that happiest season Christmas party. Yes. 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 Can you picture the outfit? I mean, I wish, yes. but also. Oh, oh can I? <laughs> I think I went, oh, Jesus Christ, what she was wearing.
0: <laughs> with that, turning away from God. <laughs> Turning away from God and going to prom. I think we should really wrap up. Sean, is there anything you wanted to shout out?
2: Yeah, I have written an article. It's in Film Fashion and Consumption, and it's about the Bling Ring and Emma Watson. Cool.
0: You should definitely go and check that out.
2: I'm at Sean K. Hunter, and you can DM me if you want to know more.
0: Thank you so much. So, that is all we've got time for. Thank you so much, Sean, for coming on and sharing your knowledge and also a little bit of your case you thirst with us.
2: <laughs> Always happy to share my case you thirst. Um, thanks for having me. It's been so much fun. Thank you for coming.
0: Thank you for coming on what is in danger of being the longest pronouns in bio ever if we don't shut the fuck up. So <laughs> yes. Thank you so much for listening at home. If you want to get in touch with us, you can find us at pronounscast on twitter.com. You can also find us at pronounscast at Instagram, or you can email us pronounscast at gmail.com. We love, love, love to hear from our listeners. Special thanks to those of you on the r slash actual lesbian subreddit for giving us ideas for this episode. You are the wind beneath our wings. We love you all. If you'd like to support the podcast, then you can do so at patreon.com forward slash pronounscast and we have a Ko-fi at ko-fi.com forward slash pronounscast. We've got loads of extra content that we're so excited to share with our patrons, so please do come on down. We'd also like to shout out a charitable cause this week. Uh, it's not especially on theme, but they are doing a lot of hard work right now in the fight for our rights, for your rights, for everybody's rights. It's Sisters Uncut. I'm sure you've heard of them doing incredible work against violence, against women. They've got this uh, unimpeachable message of trans solidarity. Go and give them your money, your support. Do whatever you can. With that, I'm Clear Madeline. I'm Reprignell. Put those pronouns, pronouns in the bio. In the bio. Put them in there, baby. Put them in.
1: (laughs) Nice.